Letter twenty five of Clarissa Harlow, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Clarissa Harlow, Volume three, by Samuel Richardson. Chapter twenty five. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire. Friday, April 14th. Thou hast oft reproached me, Jack, with my vanity, without distinguishing the humorous turn that accompanies it, and at the same time that thou robbest me of the merit of it, thou admirest me highly. Envy gives thee the indistinction. Nature inspires the admiration. Unknown to thyself, it inspires it. But thou art too clumsy, and too short-sighted a mortal to know how to account even for the impulses by which thou thyself art moved. Well, but this acquits thee not of my charge of vanity, Lovelace, methinks thou sayest. And true thou sayest, for I have indeed a confounded parcel of it. But if men of parts may not be allowed to be in vain, who should? And yet upon second thoughts men of parts have the least occasion of any to be vain since the world so few of them there are in it are ready to find them out and extol them if a fool can be made sensible that there is a man who has more understanding than himself he is ready enough to conclude that such a man must be very extraordinary creature he is ready enough to conclude that such a man must be a very extraordinary creature and what, at this rate, is the general conclusion to be drawn from the premises? Is it not that no man ought to be vain? But what if a man can't help it? This, perhaps, may be my case. But there is nothing upon which I value myself so much as upon my inventions. And for the soul of me, I cannot help letting it be seen that I do. Yet this vanity may be a means, perhaps, to overthrow me with this sagacious lady. She is very apprehensive of me, I see. I have studied before her and Miss Howe, as often as I have been with them, to pass for a giddy, thoughtless creature. What a folly, then, to be so expatiatingly sincere, in my answer to her home put, upon the noises within the garden. But such success having attended that contrivance— success jack has blown many a man up my cursed vanity got uppermost and kept down my caution the menace to have secreted solmes and that other that i had thoughts to run away with her foolish brother and of my project to revenge her upon the two servants so much terrified the dear creature that i was forced to sit down to muse after means to put myself right in her opinion some favourable incidents at the time tumbled in from my agent in her family at least such as i was determined to make favourable and therefore i desired admittance and this before she could resolve anything against me that is to say while her admiration of my intrepidity kept resolution in suspense accordingly i prepared myself to be all gentleness all obligingness all serenity and as I have now and then, and always had more or less good motions pop up in my mind, 
I encouraged and collected everything of this thought that I had ever had from novicehood to maturity, not long in recollecting Jack, in order to bring the dear creature into good humor with me. And who knows that I, if I can hold it and proceed, but I may be able to lay a foundation fit to build my grand scheme upon. Love, thought I, is not naturally a doubter. Fear is. I will try to banish the latter. Nothing then but love will remain. Credulity is the god of love's prime minister, and they never are asunder. Now, Belford, can it enter into thy leaden head what I meant by this proposal? I know it cannot, and so I'll tell thee. I leave her for a day or two, with a view to serve her by my absence, would, as I thought, look like a confiding in her favor. I could not think of leaving her, thou knowest, while I had reason to believe her friends would pursue us, and I began to apprehend that she would suspect that I made a pretense at that intentional pursuit to keep about her and with her. But now that they had declared against it, and that they would not receive her if she went back, a declaration she had better hear first from me than from Miss Howe or any other, what should hinder me from giving her this mark of my obedience, especially as I could leave Will, who is a clever fellow, and can do anything but write and spell. The Lord's M's Jonas, not as guards to be sure, but as attendants only. The latter to be dispatched to me occasionally by the former, whom I could acquaint with my motions. Then I wanted to inform myself why I had not congratulatory letters from Lady Sarah and Lady Betty, and from my cousins Montague, to whom I had written, glorying in my beloved's escape, which letters, if properly worded, might be made necessary to show her as matters proceed. As to Windsor, I had no design to carry her particularly thither, but somewhere it was proper to name, as she condescended to ask for my advice about it, London. I durst not, but very cautiously, and so as to make it her own option, for I must tell thee that there is such a perverseness in the sex that when they ask your advice, they do it only to know your opinion, that they may oppose it. Though had not the thing in question been your choice, perhaps it had been theirs. I could easily give reasons against Windsor after I had pretended to be there, and this would have looked the better as it was a place of my own nomination and shown her that I had no fixed scheme. Never was there in woman such a sagacious, such an all-alive apprehension as in this. Yet it is a grievous thing to an honest man to be suspected. Then in my going or return I can call upon Mrs. Grimm. She and my beloved had a great deal of talk together, if I knew what it was about, and that either upon her first acquaintance was for benefiting herself by the other, I might contrive to serve them both without hurting myself. For these are the most prudent ways of doing friendships, and what are not followed by regrets, though the serve should prove ingrateful. Then Mrs. Graham corresponds by pen and ink with her farmer's sister, where we are. Something may possibly arise that way, either of a convenient nature which I may pursue, or of an inconvenient nature which I may avoid. 
Always be careful of back doors, is the maxim with me in all my exploits. Whoever knows me knows that I am no proud man. I can talk as familiarly to servants as to principals, when I have a mind to make it worth their while to oblige me in anything. Then servants are but as the common soldiers in the army. They do all the mischief frequently without malice, and merely good souls for mischief's sake. I am most apprehensive about Miss Howe. She has a confounded deal of wit, and wants only a subject to show as much roguery. And should I be outwitted by all my sententious boasting of conceit, of my own nostrum-mongership, I love to plague thee, who art a pretender to accuracy, and a surface skimmer in learning, with out-of-the-way words and phrases. I should certainly hang, drown, or shoot myself. Poor Hickman! I pity him for the prospect he has with such a virago. But the fellow's a fool, God wot. And now I think of it, it is absolutely necessary for complete happiness in the married state that one should be a fool, an argument I once held with this very Miss Howe. But then the fool should know the other's superiority, otherwise the obstinate one will disappoint the wise one. But my agent Joseph has helped me to secure this quarter, as I have hinted to thee more than once. End of Letter 25